Kent French is the world-class clapper. 721 claps a minute. With the clapper, I only need two claps. Clap on, clap off. Claps things on, claps things off. Clap on the music. Just plug in your appliance. The clapper's great for hard-to-reach places. Take it from Kent. Just get clap on, clap off. The clapper. Welcome to Talking Giants. We've got the clapper. Jason Garrett is the Giants offensive coordinator. And I'm your co-host for this show, Bobby Skinner, here with your other co-host, Justin Pennick. The Giants got Jason Garrett as their offensive coordinator, Burton Burns as their running backs coach. Coach Roach ditched us. So did Bill Callahan, kind of, even though people were banking on that. And we're going to talk about the safeties. But first of all, Justin, how are you doing today? Oh, it's a Monday night, short week, Martin Luther King Day. Happy Martin Luther what, King Day. What did you do to day. celebrate Martin Luther King Jr. Day? I actually went to like a a community rally today on behalf of uh on behalf of something criminal justice related. So uh, I I spent my Martin Luther King Jr. Day in solidarity with the Philadelphia community. What did you do to celebrate today? You spent it with the Philadelphia community. You what did you throw batteries at people? Anyways, Justin, I I worked. Um, I work for an oppressive company that makes me work on holidays. It's pretty brutal. Mm. Even though I'd rather work honestly on most holidays. I, I actually do work on most holidays because I'm I'm an idiot. And I just for me it's like do I take work off today or do I work tomorrow and work double? Or it's like no, I'm gonna just work today and not have to work double the next day. So I work today and I did a lot of research on New York Giants football, New York Giants safeties. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to talk about Garrett. And Jason Garrett was signed. I told, I called it. I called it. It was going to be a Friday news dump. That's exactly what it was. Friday, 8 o'clock uh, p.m., the exact time where I really, like, unwind. It's, like, the only night where I just, like, I, I it's all for me. And it goes oh, into. Oh, that pisses me off. That pisses it, me right off. It pissed me off right off because I had to go into the scramble mode. It's like, okay, let's talk about Jason Garrett. So let's talk about no, it's it. That's right. Justin. We, uh, we went live. We went live on Instagram and we were, we were nuts. That was a yeah. nuts evening. <laughs> and then in the middle of the Instagram live stream, just to, just to bring you to where we were as, as people and as human beings, we don't find out from a beat reporter. We don't find out from any kind of uh, a, a person that we were that we rely on breaking news for us. No, we we find out from the Ole Miss football page, the official Ole Miss football page, that Freddie Roach is staying at Ole Miss and he's not the defensive line coach for the New York Football Giants. So that was a crazy but wonderful evening at the same time. I was the first person who does giant stuff to put that out there. Um, someone was in my replies, and it's like Freddie Roach is leaving. I um, they sent they sent me the uh, the Ole Miss post. I was like, you like this. Are you talking about the, the Freddie Roach? Anyways, how, how do you feel about Jason Garrett? Um, I have mixed emotions on it, Justin. I There's definitely things I like. There's some things I'm hesitant with. I think I'm a, I'm a net positive. But, I mean, how, how do you feel about Garrett as OC? Yeah, Bobby, I'm kind of in the same boat. Uh, I, I talked about last episode where you need to separate your heart and your mind as a fan, your heart and your brain. Heart, and I'll, I'll be honest. Like last week, I you know you, you kind of knew that this was going to happen even last week before the inf- before the news was actually official. Once you heard that he actually interviewed with the team, and that Garrett probably wasn't going to interview anywhere else, you knew that he wanted to get back into football. It's not like a Jay Gruden where Jay Gruden really you know he indicated that he wanted to take the year off. So you're like, all right, Jason and Garrett, he, and then he interviews uh, with the Jags. That was like, you got to be kidding me. We didn't interview him; just interviewing with the Jags. Yeah. 
Anyway, uh, you knew that Jason Garrett to the Giants was kind of written in the stars. This is the preferred destination and the preferred ending to Jason Garrett to the New York Giants, I think, (laughs) him being offensive coordinator and not head coach. As time has gone on, I've gotten a little more hesitant, but at the same time, what else what else was out there like what would we as giants fans feel better with well besides jay gruden besides jay gruden would us as giants fans feel better with a guy that's maybe never called plays before uh would an organization even let somebody make a lateral move from one organization to the next i don't know so if you look at all the options and the fact that garrett and the fact well i know yeah bobby but would another organization (laughs) make that move um I'm just trying. I'm just trying to weigh the options in terms of thinking. Why wouldn't you like this move right now? Now, obviously, week five in the 2020 season, that could be a different story. If we're coming out here and we're not playing good football, especially on the offense side of the ball, that's a different story. But right now, I'm trying to think of a reason not to like it and to be not content, and I can't. But we'll break down the reasons why we may not be content and why there is a lot of reasons for some optimism for especially for Daniel Jones. So, Bobby, how did you feel? I liked it, you know, and like you said, we kind of knew it was coming for a a couple of days. So you kind of like, you know, you look in the stuff and to a point you almost convince yourself. But I I, I was, you know, if Jason Garrett was the head coach, I would have thrown a fit. Whereas him as offensive coordinator, I'm kind of fine with it. He's had some good offenses. Now, a lot of that is is talent-driven. The Cowboys are very talented, and they're a team that underperformed. You know, they had probably one of the most talented teams. They are probably the most talented team to not make the playoffs, and they were in the weakest division in football to not make the playoffs. So, like, that's why I didn't want him as a head coach. But as far as his offenses, and I get, I understand that Kellen Moore was the play caller. But Jason Garrett's hands were on this offense just as much as Kellen Moore's. Like, their game, like it, maybe even more so. Like, Kellen Moore was calling the plays. But you can't tell me that Jason Garrett was not like kind of behind the game plans and and, and the playbook and and things of that uh, nature. And the Dallas, Dallas had a pretty damn good offense. Um, you know, in points they were six, in yards they were first, in yards per play they were first, and um, passing they were second, in rushing they were fifth. I mean, they were top of all the passing categories, not in just like total yards, but in touchdowns and yards per attempt, uh, and then rushing they were eighth in attempts, and then fourth in yards per carry, and fifth in yards. Second in sacks, and that is the big question about Jason Garrett. Is well, they had like a lot of they had talent in Gallup and Cooper and and Cobb in the slot, and obviously Zeke as a running back. And you got like a guy like Witten and Jarwin at tight end, and you have this you know top five offensive line in the NFL with Dak. So part of it's like okay, he had a good offense, but and then it's like well, there was a lot of talent to work with, so like he couldn't kind of couldn't not have a good offense. And something about Garrett is that he's, in a way, has always had that talent. How many years of Des Bryant? How many good years of Des Bryant? How many tremendous years that of Jason Winton? Jason Winton's a future Hall of Famer. And you saw that one year before they got Amari Cooper, before they traded for him from the Oakland Raiders, that offense was really lost. That football team was lost. And this was 2018 where the Cowboys were really stinking it up. And then they go on and they win the division at the end of the year. Again, in a, in a bad NFC East, that seems to be a common trend uh, for the NFC East to be a bad division. But I would say the main thing where you're, you're I'm totally not bought in, right? I'm where it's like, yes, I'm bought in with Jason Garrett is the fact that you have talent. Jason Garrett has always, always had talent. 
granted, you need good coaching to shape talent. You need you look at Tony Romo, the fact that he was an undrafted quarterback, Jason Garrett as a coordinator, and then Jason Garrett as a head coach made Tony Romo a borderline Hall of Fame player. Dak Prescott, a fourth round QB, made him into a quality NFL starter that's probably going to get upwards in the middle of 35, you know, 35 million, over 30 million dollars this offseason if the Cowboys choose to pay him. So again, we, we've said this over and over. And over again with some of these head with some of these coaching hires, it's wait and see. Especially because we need to wait and see what the Giants are going to do on their side of things, and how are they going to surround these coaches with talent to put them in the best position to succeed and coach this team in the way that they want to coach them. What do you think of the angle of well, he Joe Judge needed a guy with head coaching experience. I think that kind of gets overplayed a little bit. Like these guys have been around, and I don't. I just don't see Joe Judge like going to Jason Garrett you know, two, three times a week and be like, what would you do in this situation? In fact, like to kind of get a little off track, I remember I remember when Jason Kidd became the Nets coach and they're like, we're going to bring in Lawrence Frank to be his head coach. And it kind of completely backfired because Lawrence Frank was trying to be the head coach and he was the highest paid assistant coach in the NBA. And they literally made him a film guy. The highest paid assistant became was like cutting up video. And that was his job because Jason Kidd's like, no, you can't tell me what to do. I don't th- see a dynamic of Jason Garrett like being like the the Zen master over Joe Judge. Like this is what you do in this situation because frankly, Jason Garrett wasn't a great head coach. Um, he had some good moments with some good teams, but he definitely wasn't like a great head coach. Um, but he was a good offensive coordinator from 07 to 2010. Justin, I mean, his offenses were ranked third, thirteenth, second, and seventh, and those teams had talent, but they were nowhere near as talented as the teams he head coached. Um, you know, the, a young Tony Romo with, with Witten. Um, you had Terrell Owens on that team, but he was kind of a headache. The offensive line wasn't nearly as good. And then before that, you know, his two years after being an NFL QB for 15 years, he was the Dolphins QB coach. And Nick Saban said, and Nick Saban does not like to admit mistakes. One of the only things you can like find him admit as being a mistake at, from him being an NFL was not bring, making Jason Garrett the offensive coordinator after his first year because you know, everyone told him that, hey, you got to you got to go interview Jason Garrett and made him a QB coach with no coaching experience. And Garrett's like, I, 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 I regret not making him the OC after one year. Um, and then when Saban, you know, bolted back to Alabama, Garrett went to the with Wade Phillips after Parcells left in Dallas and obviously did a good job there. So uh, I do think uh, Garrett can be a good coach. I, I guess we can, you know, get into talking about what his offense actually brings and unless you have some other points. No, no, I actually do want to get into the philosophy. I think this is an interesting conversation. Well, let's let's start with the Air Coryell offense. Like, what is that? It was uh, created by the old uh, Coach Coryell, the Chargers coach with Dan Fouts. And basically, it's having, like, your first reads be vertical, having, like, one one to two deep guys on each play. Um, and then, like, you start, you, you start your progression going deep to short. Whereas, like, a West Coast offense – is like kind of, is like short to deep, where you're looking at your ends and slants and stuff like that. And Garrett runs doesn't run like a pure Eric Coryell. In fact, his offense is kind of similar to Pat Shermer's. Like when you look at the play designs, they're they're not too far off. And I understand like people think like you should be doing like nine spin moves on a play. Like when we talk about like being, the being imaginative, that's not what it is. It's it's involving motion and and get, and gaps. Like how close is a slot receiver to the tight end, or how close is a slot receiver to the sideline, and, and things like that. That's what being imaginative is, is moving stuff like that. It's like Pete, like I put out a play where it's like Jason Garrett covering cover two or attacking cover two with two go routes 
a drag with the option to uh, curl on it, and then uh, a 10 yard in. And it's, someone's like, oh my gosh, what a boring play. It's like, well, it consistently worked. Um, so I call it boring or what or not. But like I said, with those, you got those two deep vertical guys or, or one deep vertical guys. And the guys that aren't going deep are running some option routes and reading the coverage. Kind of not like Kevin Gilbride's uh, offense, but similar. And that takes heady guys, guys like Golden Tate, guys like, you know, hopefully Sterling Shepard, guys who can read a coverage. So if, a, you know, instead of just going with all drag route all the way across the line of scrimmage, if you find a hole, sit in that hole and find it. And that, you know, you need a heady QB like Daniel Jones to make that work perfectly. So that's kind of what it is. And, you know, Justin, I went and watched – I only watched one game, so maybe this was the only game of the season, I doubt it, to see how much motion he was using. And the Giants' Monday night football game against the Cowboys, on 76% of his plays, there was some kind of motion or pre-snap shift on the plays. And I don't know what the rest of the league is doing, but that is an unreal number to me. No, and I and I rewatched the uh, the Week One game, 2013, where the Giants were in Dallas. I believe they lost by maybe six or seven points that game. And I saw this take on Twitter to start that said that Jason Garrett does not utilize pre-snap motion. I don't know what that person was talking about, but that is the furthest thing from the truth. Tight ends going in motion almost every single play. Now, granted, 2013 was the first season that. Jason Garrett was not the offensive play caller. It was Bill Callahan. And then from 2014 to 2018, it was Scott Linehan. And then 2019, it was obviously Kellen Moore. But not even just tight ends, Bobby, that are that are going in motion pre-snap. Now, this obviously, I don't know if you would consider this to be motion. Uh, maybe correct me on the lingo here. But just frankly, you would have guys that would get set and then receivers would just they would all just move from one side one from one side to the other there'd be a ton ton of movement and you would you know obviously that, there's benefits to pre-snap motion so go ahead so yeah. i counted both that would be um uh, uh sorry the word <laughs> completely lost me um a shift so say you had like two tight ends to the right and not everyone's set those guys can move to the left now once everybody's set you can put one man in motion so like you know you see like a, a slot receiver like coming across the line of scrimmage and, and still be in movement, that is motion. So like once guys are set, like you can shift, but it's not like a, a moving motion kind of thing. So um, there is a bit of a difference, but like you can't have two guys in motion at one time. Yeah, so shifting. So, so sh- not even just pre-snap motion, but as you said, shifting, uh, that was utilized absolutely a ton. And also I want to touch on this idea of um, this philosophy that Garrett has coming from previous coaches where you're starting to look deep down the field and then you're working back in terms of your intermediate routes and your short routes. You would think that that would be very inefficient in terms of let's just maybe look at completion percentage, right? I, I think that would be the perception because if you're starting to look deep and you're constantly looking deep and then you're going towards your intermediate routes – would you naturally think, and Bobby, this is a question towards you before I continue with my point, would you naturally think that your completion percentage would be below average in the league? Well, the thing is with going deep, and I'm not an expert at this, so if I'm wrong, correct me, but you can tell early in a play when like something deep is going to be there. So you can like look, like say, say you got Slayton on a go route to the left, and you, you know, he's your first read. You see that the corner is playing cover two and that safety is shading over there. So you kind of know what you have over there. So you look below. So to even like if you're going to go back to that deep route, you don't even have to really look. You know what's going to be there. 
Whereas it, when it's short to deep, you know, you read and say like they're co- they're covering, you know, your in route or your slant. Well, and then you go deep and it's not there, and then you go short and it might not, you know, you don't know if it's going to be there after a few seconds. So I say that is a. Di- I could be wrong about that. You know, someone correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I believe that's kind of like the differences in philosophy. Yeah. So I mean, at least at least in my brain, uh, I would perceive the completion percentage to be a bit below average because of the fact that you are looking deeper. That's at least in my brain. So I took the liberty and I what I did is I, you know, NFL.com. Now completion percentage isn't always the the total end all be all stat to look at in terms of running an efficient offense. It's it's not. But overall, what what it can look to do is, you know, it is is an, is a quarterback moving the ball, is a quarterback being effective in a system, it can obviously you, know, you can obviously answer that question. So this is just context. Eli Manning's best uh, year completion percentage-wise was 2018. Bobby, can you guess what that percentage is that Eli Manning finished 2018 with? 66%. That you are on the dot. You are on the dot. You know your Giants like the back of your hand. I put this out on Twitter. Bad guy. Bad guy. You're supposed to save save the takes, and I did not not listen to you. Um, I think I I did. (laughs) Oh, no. I did put out the tweet the the night that he was hired. Anyway, um, I basically looked from 2011 to 2017, not counting 2015 since Romo was out for the majority of 2015 because that, that was the year before that Dak Prescott was drafted. Um, so 2011 to 2017, not counting 2015, uh, Tony Romo was third in completion percentage in 2011, fourth in completion percentage 2012, sixth in completion percentage 2013, first in 2014, partially because he only had 435 attempts because of how successful Murray was. 2016, Dak Prescott finished fourth with 68% completion, which is nuts. That was his rookie year. And then 2017, Dak Prescott was 12th with the 63% completion percentage. Uh, That consistency year after year after year in an offense that first, now again, this this is my opinion. I could be wrong in my football analysis here. That kind of consistency of completing the ball year after year after year in an offense where you are first looking kind of deep down the field and that's where your kind of priorities are and then you work your way back towards the intermediate routes i think that kind of consistency is a little bit bananas that's that's my that's just my take yeah and like with tony romo is like okay he's like a you know a really good qb with a guy like Dak, like i think a lot of people aren't completely sold on Dak. now he's had a good year but like that's pretty cool and like you know a guy like daniel jones who completed 62 percent of his passes I tell you what, now this is completely off subject, but I was thinking about this the other day. It was like, it was so nice to watch Daniel Jones play and not have to deal with the drops that he had at Duke. Like it just made watching him more, so much more enjoyable. It's like, actually his receivers made plays for him at times. Whereas Duke, it was like, this is like, I wanted to punch, I wanted to fight Duke receivers watching his film last year. Um, but anyways, yeah, like, yeah, like if that's like indicative of what Jason Garrett's doing, like that should be really good for us, you know? Maybe Dak and Tony Romo were destined to be these really good QBs, but you know what? Jason Garrett had a play on that and and had a part of them. So like that is encouraging. Like I, I don't think we've talked about it enough. Like what will the relationship be like with him and Jones? And I think honestly, offensive coordinators should be like thrilled to play with Daniel Jones. And Bobby, let me ask you a question because um, I re- I think I remember you touching on this throughout the 2019 season when looking at Jones and looking at his progression as the year went on. 
wasn't this a kind of critique that we had of Daniel Jones throughout the season that he didn't take what was intermediately and what was immediately right in front of him, like a check down to Saquon, maybe like a check down to a tight end, and that he was constantly kind of looking down towards the field and his downfield targets? Was this a critique that you did have or that we did have of Daniel Jones at one point? And does this kind of match the strengths of what Garrett is going to be bringing in with this philosophy and type of offense? No, it it definitely was. And it is something he got better at. In fact, you know, and this was probably the most encouraging thing, maybe not the most encouraging thing about Daniel Jones, is like when he had these bad games of like mistakes, like you would tell like the next game, it's like, oh, wow, he really worked that out. And He's a guy that's trying to force the, put the ball downfield, and that's what we love about him. We'd rather rein that in a little bit than take a guy who isn't good looking downfield and trying to be like, hey, man, why don't you take a shot here and there? And in Arizona, that got him in a lot of trouble. I mean, remember, you know, there was, what, eight or nine sacks in that game? And I think I chalked up to, like, four on Daniel Jones. It's like, listen, he's got guys underneath, and he's just looking downfield, trying to make the player or holding onto the ball a little too long. Right. And he got better right. as that went along. But, yeah, that's definitely something that we talked about all last season with Daniel Jones is that we love that he is a, a downfield guy, that he's not afraid to go downfield and take some chances. We do not want to take that away from him. We definitely don't. But what makes the great QBs from the good QBs and the good QBs from the average QBs is knowing when, okay, it's not going to open up downfield. I need to get this ball out quick compared to guys where it's like, and I think Dak might have fell into this where it's like against us, he, like he lit us up because, you know, cover two over the middle is just wide open all game. And then when defenses kind of challenge him, it's like, oh, I don't don't know what I'm doing. And I think that's like where a guy like Daniel Jones sets himself apart. Now, let's break this down even further. So we talked about Daniel Jones looking deep down the field. Now, let's talk about maybe how Garrett can help him look intermediately. And is that even is that a correct terminology? Intermediately? I feel like it's not. I feel like I just made it up. In football, you can make up terms like that, though. So you're fine. Yeah. So. Look, look towards the middle of the field for uh, for all you for all you people that aren't as smart as I am, um, and the fact that I just made up a football term on the spot. Um, but this guy's a dude. let's so where Witten had all of his success in this type of philosophy is that when you know your targets deep down the field aren't available, you're going to have Jason Witten run a little button hook, a little curl route in the middle of the field, and that's going to be your intermediate route, and then that's how he racked up all his you know ninety plus catch seasons. And how or how he would rack up all, his, all of his first downs, probably on second intermediate, third intermediate, third and short, et cetera, et cetera. So we talked about tight ends our, our last episode, Bobby. How does this maybe change? Now, I think this is maybe a better question for me since I'm more or less on the trade Evan Ingram trade. I have to be honest with Jason Garrett coming in and get and Caden Smith already on the team. Knowing how much 12 personnel is important to that Dallas offense, kind of similar to the Patriots offense in some ways, where you know they they like to run their two tight end sets, they like to utilize two tight ends. Jason Garrett in 2020 gets me excited for what he can do with these tight ends, particularly Caden Smith and Evan Ingram working together. So, how do you think Jason Garrett is going to impact these tight ends? Well, Jason Witten has made famous, and you know, Garrett talked about it at his retirement speech, is the Y stick, which is Part of Garrett's offense is having option routes over the middle where you have to be, read coverages as a receiver, which a lot of offenses don't ask you to do that. Shermer's offense didn't ask you to do that. And that's where it, there is a difference between Shermer and Garrett. Shermer was like, this is the route we're running. You run it. Like Jason Witten had that Y stick. And that's why Jason Witten was open all the time. Because it wasn't because he was Evan Ingram just burning people. It's because he was smart. 
and he knew what to do when a, a linebacker shaded outside or safety came in and jammed. Like, he knew what to do, and him and Romo were on the same page. In fact, they were on such a good page that it pissed off Terrell Owens that he wasn't able to be on that same kind of page. So, yeah, I don't know how Ingram might play into it, but, man, it's got to be encouraging for Caden Smith. But, Justin, are we going to sign Jason Witten as, as a player or as a coach? Do we even know where that started? I think Ed Werder. I think Jason Witten said himself he wouldn't be opposed to it. Is His contract is up with the Cowboys? I believe so. Let me look it up right now. That would be that would be bananas. Like, like really, what what world? I would be fine if, with him as a coach. Or yeah, if, oh, or totally. If, if they coach. traded Ingram, I would like bring in Witten as a number two. I guess he could still block. He's a free agent. I mean, he wasn't a horrible receiver this year. He definitely wasn't the guy that he was before, but he wasn't horrible either. I think he, he I think he reigned in like sixty catches or so. I mean, you watch Antonio Gates and Jason Witten play football this year. I even watched Antonio Gates play football last year. It looked like they were in pain running. Witten's looked like that for the last five years, though. (laughs) I'm serious. Even when he was catching, like, you know, if you go back to, what was it, 2016 or or 2015, you know, opening week, they score a touchdown on us, uh, a game winner on Witten. Witten wasn't, like, out there burning people. He was, like, and it was always joked about how he was, like, he ran – like he was like a rusty like like tin man. Like he's got a crap in his pants. Yeah, but that Y stick, that damn Y stick. Who was that Hawaiian uh Hawaiian guy, that Hawaiian linebacker? Uh Pablo shoot, Escobar. I think it was twenty fifteen. No, 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 not Pablo Escobar. Uh he he ain't Hawaiian. He's Colombian. I did my research. Colombian uh Colombian drug lord. Uh however, I did I did clarify on Twitter that I did figure out that he was a Colombian drug lord, but I spelled the country Colombia wrong. I spelled it as, you know, the clothing brand? Yeah. That's how I spelled it on Twitter. They spell it so, wrong? I think so. Cause somebody cause somebody corrected me in the replies. Which thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you to all my followers that all you've been doing lately is correcting me because I'm an idiot and I'm wrong on everything I tweet. I want to thank you. Me too. <laughs> Holding me accountable. Uh should we talk about the, you know, the 2018, the second pick in the 2018 draft at all, and how uh, he's going to be impacted by this, or should we just skip no, that? No, no, please don't bring that. Please let's 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 move let's, on. Let's um, not bring up our superstar running back. Run good, Saquon. That's what we're going to ask of you. Run, run good. Be good. Do we have anything else on Garrett? Uh no, no efficiency. Uh, completing the ball at a high rate. That's that's kind of like it's kind of like what I had. Uh, totally, I think totally depended on. Offensive line play. I mean, I guess that's not a hot take. Here we go. You want sports radio takes? Uh, totally going to be dependent on offensive line play and what we can do at the offensive line position in terms of drafting and free agency this offseason. All right. So Burton Burns running back coach. He was Alabama's running back coach from 2007 to 2019. He's got a fistful of championship <laughs> rings. What we know about this guy, Justin, is that Mark Ingram said it was the best coach he's ever had. Derrick Henry spoke highly of him. And they told Saquon, you got a good one. So now, my only worry with him, though, is he's 67 years old, and in his interviews, he sounded old. That's that's my only worry with him. Like, is he too old for this? That was legitimately my only worry. I have this obsession with championship rings. I don't know why. I think it might have been the fact that I met Sean Landetta when I was like 12 years old or eight years old. Whenever, whenever I when I was a little when I was a wee little lad. And he put the 86, 87, and 90, 91 championship rings on my fingers. They were so big. They were so, they were so shiny. And I've had an obsession with championship rings since then. So you want to know what? 
just for the fact that uh that this new running back coach can uh can throw around that swagger around the organization. Um great. All for it. But yeah. Have you ever does, held a Super Bowl ring? Have I ever oh have I ever held it? I mean I've I've worn I've worn them, Bobby. Get out of here. Whose did you wear? Sean Landetta. Do you know who that is? I don't know who oh, that is. oh god. Oh my god. Our 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 old historian I don't I don't mean to call you old people, I'm sorry. Um our historian Giants fans are gonna rip you apart. He was a great Giants punter during the two Super Bowl runs. How dare you? See, I don't pretend to know everything about the eighties like Bill Parcells. Like I know Bill Parcells was a great coach, Bill Belichick DC. I know Lawrence Taylor was great, Carl Banks was great. Carson was great, and I know Phil Sims was pretty good. But I can't. I like. I don't pretend to know. It's like you guys just don't understand the '87 uh, defense. It's like you know what? I don't really understand either because I literally was negative five years old. <laughs> I held one. I don't even know whose it was. He played with the Ravens on that Trent Dilfer team. Mm-hmm. It was actually on my my official visit to FAU. I was wearing a Giants hat, and he's like, "Like that hat? It's like you a Giants fan?" And he goes, "How about this?" And he shows me the ring. And he and he let me hold it. Um, he had huge hands, and I just said, "Well, we got the most recent one." Hey, a grown you. man. That's how they approach showing you their Super Bowl ring. Like, I feel like that's something you would do to a twelve-year-old. I mean, I was seventeen. I was visiting there, like you know, to try. And but at seventeen, there. you probably looked like you were twenty-five. True, but he was just flexing on me. He was like, "Hey, you what? like the Giants? How about how do you like this? We whooped your ass what a in jerk. that Super Bowl." Hey, I didn't go to FAU, and they didn't That's offer why. a scholarship. They played. They played with my heart. They played with my heartstrings. I'll be honest. Uh, anyways, let's take a break, and we'll get into uh, the safeties. I'm Bill Callahan. Bad day. All right, let's take a break, and let's get into the safeties. Come on, pay attention in there. Let's go. We got a beautiful day. Work. Play fast. Play fast. Whoa. Ah. All right, let's talk about the 2019 New York Giants safeties. We're only going to talk four of them, Peppers, Bethea, Thomas, and Love. Justin, let's start with your real Peppers. He's 24 years old now. He's 5'11", 213. Obviously, came over in the trade from Odell Beckham. And listen, I, I, I know he missed five games. But I'm a firm believer that Jabril Peppers, when he was a part of this Giants defense, was the biggest playmaker the Giants defense had. Maybe not the best player. I think best player would have went between Dalvin Tomlinson and, dare I say it, Janoris Jenkins. But the best playmaker, I believe, for this Giants defense was Jabril Peppers. We saw that with the interception against the Redskins. He had three forced fumbles, and they came at, like, big-time moments. And we'll get into his stats and stuff like that, but, like, he was a beast, and he was playing towards the line of scrimmage, um, more like that that rover, money-backer type. And it seemed to fit him really well. I mean, he he got better in every single area. Compared to you know 2018 and 17 with Cleveland, yeah, I would tend to agree. And something that stuck out to me most, especially going back towards the summer, if you remember, Jabril Peppers actually over the summer he got some sort of dental surgery. He needed some sort of like I don't know where they got a root canal or something. And the presence that he left during the summer. Now again, get, you know, getting to know Justin as the new co-host of Talking Giants. I really do value training camp. I really do value the, you know, what the things that you hear over the summer, partially because I able oh, I'm yeah. able to go to those things. Pure bias, I overvalue what you hear during training camp. I overvalue training camp performances and practice. Okay? All right. 
now we can move on. No, it matters. It definitely matters. I don't, I'm I'm right yeah. there with. I mean, it's especially when you when you see things with your eyes, you know, because I know a lot of people can't go. We're going this year. That's a guarantee. We're gonna have whoa, a week whoa. there, Bobby. You're... I'm just I'm I'm putting it, I'm speaking it into existence. Levar Breaking Ball's news style. in January. Breaking news in January. But um, Jabril Peppers. Jabril Peppers got surgery, and when he was gone for those couple days. I want to say it was before training camp and it was in OTAs. When he was gone during OTAs, there was a visible, visible, huge difference on the defensive side of the ball in terms of not only just how they performed, but how those guys gelled. So even from the start, Jabril Peppers really was I don't want to I don't want to go on a go on a, a a leap here and say that he's a defensive leader but the fact that Alec Ogletree's not coming back this not coming back in 2020 I really hope and pray to my lucky stars that he will not be back next year Jabril Peppers is kind of uh, he's kind of a leader for this team we don't exactly know what's going to happen to Michael Thomas who we'll get to talking about in a few minutes he's a free agent this season so Jabril Peppers Kind of a leader and kind of definitely a leader by example because of the big time plays that he would make throughout the season. I thought to start, he didn't have such a hot start, but obviously during that Washington game, kind of really broke out. And Bobby, I I, I kind of want to talk about his role as a money backer because uh, this this conversation may be a little irrelevant now that we have a different defensive coordinator, but... I liked, I really did like, and I really did enjoy the fact that because the Giants had a, such a thin depth at linebacker, particularly the interior linebacker spot, how many times would we use Jabril Peppers towards the line of the, towards the line of scrimmage as a money backer, as this hybrid linebacker safety, bring him up towards the line, and you would have Michael Thomas, Antoine Bethea behind him doing their their respective roles. But I think that fits Peppers so well because you, what you saw him doing in Cleveland, you saw him lining up all over the field, and I think that's partially why he did not have success in Cleveland. You saw him lining up at slot corner. You saw him lining up at corner. You saw him lining up strictly as a linebacker, not a money backer. You saw he was literally all over the field. There were even snaps that he took at edge rusher when he was in Cleveland. That's how insane they got with him. And I think that resulted in inconsistent play. The fact that last year with the Giants that Peppers was able to settle into a strong safety and a money backer role, I think that really helped him in the long run. Uh, Obviously, it was a shame that we didn't get to see him in a full 16-game sample, but I'm excited for what he can do in his second year in blue. Obviously, it's going to be a transition to a different system, but but yeah, uh, I kind of enjoyed Jabril Peppers' presence uh, as a versatile player, but not too versatile. He was the most fun player to watch on the Giants' defense, and Cleveland missed him, like, because he came on as of late, like, and, and towards the end with Cleveland, where, like, they legit missed him. I had Cleveland people in my mentions, like, man, I miss watching Jabril Peppers play. And, like, through 11 games, he had 76 tackles, 51 solo, uh, five passes defended, five tackles for a loss, an interception, and three forced fumbles. Um, and the one that sticks out uh, was the Minnesota one, where Dalvin Cook is running into the end zone, and he, he punches it out at the one-yard line. Justin, at a 16-game pace, that's 111 tackles. That would have led the team. 74 solo. Seven tackles for a loss. A, you know, an interception and a half. You know, interceptions are the hardest ones to translate. Um, and then five tackles for a loss. And that's like those are all increases in all categories. I mean, even before, like if you don't even like do the on pace, all those are uh, increases than his time in Cleveland. And the nice thing is, is that, Patrick Graham likes to, at least in Miami, he liked to play a safety towards the line of scrimmage. And we'll talk about how, you know, Julian Love and how that all fits in 
um, going into 2020. But I, I expect him to be towards the line of scrimmage, and I expect him to be a huge playmaker for the Giants in 2020. Like, I mean, is there a defensive player you're more excited for on this team? I mean, maybe Dexter Lawrence, but for me, it's, I cannot wait to come out and see Jabril Peppers play. Yeah, at least at least not one that's not on the team yet. Uh, I guess maybe you would be excited to see Ryan Conley more, but the fact that you do typically have guys coming off their you know guys coming off ACL injuries, their best career seasons are their second year off their ACL injury. Hint, hint, Marcus Golden. Hint, hint, Dalvin Cook. Um, Dalvin Cook. This was the second year that he came off his ACL injury. He had a career year, but neither here nor there. I guess the guy you know that we saw consistently in 2019, yeah, Jabril Peppers would have to be that guy simply because he can do so much, but you don't want him doing too much at the same time. Because like I said, you saw him doing too much in Cleveland, and I think that really hintered his growth. Um, so Jabril Peppers, excited to see what he can do, especially thinking about Giants still are thin at linebacker depth not knowing what they're going to do with the draft. If Jabril Peppers can help out being in that money backer spot while having a strong safety and a free safety play behind him and really be that hybrid guy, I think the sky's the limit in, you know, the sky's the limit for him in that kind of role. I don't know how Patrick is going to use him in love, and I guess we can get into that conversation more truly in love. But yeah, he, he gets injured on a kick return, which is like, this is why you don't have his kick return. Like, he, he returned four all season. So, like, <laughs> you can't, like... I, I get not doing it in the preseason, but like you put your like football players play football. Like you can't. I don't. I was fine with him recurring kicks, you know, and then ended up getting him hurt. Um, and I think he probably could have came back like week sixteen, week seventeen, but it was it was useless at that point. Um. So yeah, Jul- uh, Jabril Peppers is someone I'm very excited about in 2020. Now, Justin, someone I'm not excited about for in 2020. 35 year old, five foot eleven, 206 pound Antoine Bethea. Justin. I was dead wrong about Antoine Bethea, although I'm going to say that I wasn't. I'm going to put an asterisk next to it. I thought Antoine Bethea was going to make a, like a real impact on this Giants uh, defense. Not just because, like, oh, he's old and he's a leader. Like, that stuff I think could be a little bit overrated. I thought he'd make plays because that's what he did in Arizona the three years previously. But that's not what he did. He was put in cover two, and defenses attacked that. He was put in cover three, and he made it to the sideline maybe one time. And I'm not exaggerating. It was either once or twice where he was able to track it to the sideline. He got um, better as the season went on. Remember he had a few, had a few uh, passes deflected towards, uh, I think, probably the last uh, two weeks of the season. He he really got better as time went on, Bobby. Not giving him, not giving him enough credit there. So he's, he's, just, he's just hitting his prime now. Uh, <laughs> just hitting his stride. <laughs> but he did, he did lead the team in tackles with 110. Which, like, we, if you watch the games, you know that those were just because our defense was very bad. Um, especially pre-Leonard Williams when teams were just running all over us. Uh, two tackles for a loss, six passes defended, the one interception against Dallas. Dallas was, he played a good game against Dallas. And zero QB hits. Compared to 2018, where he had 11 more tackles, 19 more solo, five tackles for a loss. No interceptions, but, like, in 2017, he had five interceptions and he had six QB hits. Justin, when we signed Antoine Bethea, I expected him to play towards the line of scrimmage because that's what he did with Arizona. In fact, there was times in Arizona where he would legitimately line up in the A-gap with, you know, our good friend Dayon Buchanan. He didn't do that at all. Like, he was never in the box. It just didn't make any sense to have a 35-year-old guy who doesn't have the same speed that he once had. He never was a burner. Playing deep safety, center field, 
or cover two, where it's like him and uh, Alec Ogletree cover that middle area. It's like, yeah, of course teams are going to tackle us. Of course oh, Jason Garrett and, and Dak are just going to run play action and attack that hole all game long. So while he wasn't good, he was also like put in the worst situations by James Betcher. And, like his role, like I had some grievances about James Betcher, and I know people are like, well, he didn't have the talent. It's like, yeah, well, he didn't really utilize his players the right way to me. And Antoine Bethea was at the top of the list for me on that. Yeah, uh, what we were ultimately betting on, I feel like with Antoine Bethea, is, 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 is his ability to be a pro's pro. That was, I feel like, the main storyline. You know, oh, why you feel safe about this Antoine Bethea signing is, number one, it wasn't a huge risk financially, so you it was tough to be like, oh, I really hate this signing. Of course, there are people that hated the signing simply because of the age, simply because of the Arizona connection, and simply because there are people on Twitter that will hate Gettleman no matter what he does. But you were kind of betting on Bethea being this pro's pro in the kind of no matter what role you put him in, whether it is a strong safety, whether it is a free safety, the guy has been there, done that in all aspects and all regards to the game, and he has been there with Betcher before, that he can kind of fill whatever role you ask him. But when you put him in a role, I guess, you know, when you look at it from, you know, a, a purely purely a, a football point of view, when you look at it from a film point of view, instead of looking at, you know, instead of looking at what you expect Antoine Bethea to do, when you look at it from that point of view, Bobby, guy that hasn't played a free safety role probably in a while and also you pair him with Alec Ogletree <laughs> it's a that's a deadly combo there Bobby <laughs> yeah and very te- deadly teams knew that if we have a wide receiver that can beat their corners deep that we have it all game long because Antoine Bethea is not going to make up that ground I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt to say he got to the sideline twice and I'm, I, I think it was once so yeah like Antoine Bethea now, do you see him being on the team? If if he's cut, it saves two point four five million. In fact, you know you don't really like don't, the only dead cap is like a hundred something thousand dollars, so it doesn't affect that at all. I think Giants fans and people and people that cover the Giants are like, well, just cut this guy, cut this guy, cut this guy. When the Giants are going to have a lot of cap space, so I don't think just cutting guys for the sake of cutting them. Do you? Do you th- but do you think there's any chance that Bethea is a Giant in twenty twenty? There would have to be a contingency plan. What's the salary in 2020, by the way? Because they would save. The they would save. Yeah, what's the cap hit? Oh, the cap hit. There's nothing. It, the, the total salary is 2.45, uh, 2.75 million. The cap hit is like 300 grand or something like that. So, oh, it, okay. you can cut them for free, basically. All right. So, you know what? Because we're we're about to we're about to get into Michael Thomas in a bit here, and he's a free agent. So, you know, the fact that you would have to renegotiate a contract with him and that would probably take some time. It may not take a lot of time once free agency actually starts. But Bethea is this veteran presence. And now if you have it, you have to have a contingency plan at free safety, whether that's love, whether that's somebody else in the draft, whether that's somebody else through free agency. You know, we can get into that, but you have to have a contingency plan. In my opinion, if you are going to keep Antoine Bethea on on this football team, he cannot be starting at free safety for you next year. I don't think he could be starting at all. I think he's a great backup to Peppers. I think he can if you need him to slide into that free safety spot. If you have Peppers maybe playing that money backer role, that ultra hybrid linebacker role, you put him back there on free safety. uh, Dire and dire situations, I guess. They need to have some sort of contingency plan if the only question for me if he's going to stay. The only thing for me is, you know, Antoine Bethea, he's 35 years old. He meets with Joe Judge or or anybody or Dave Gettleman and being like, listen, 
if you're not going to start me, let me go and try to do something else. But at the same time, though, Justin, he may be like, I'm 35 years old. No one's getting me. I'll sit on the bench for two and a half million dollars one last year. So that, you know, I don't know what's going on in his head. But I'm fine bringing him back as a backup, though. But as a, as a starter, no way. Would he be willing to play special teams? Because we can't just have a guy just sitting on the bench wasting space. I mean, all 53 guys got to be, you know, we all know the value of all 53 guys on a roster. Would he be willing to play special teams? I got no, I, I have no clue. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> I don't even know if he'd be good. I mean, that would be, teams, so. that would be the only thing where it's like, okay, if Antoine Bethea is willing to play special teams, sure. Let him be a mentor to guys in the secondary. Let him be kind of like this ultra, this ultra coach. Uh, some might, some might call it a Jonathan Stort role on the team. Uh, if you want to call it that. <laughs> but um, that, that's really the only way, Bobby, that I see him on the football team. I think we've, we've figured out that we're not keeping him after talking for two minutes on this. Mm-hmm. We're not keeping that. Bye, Antoine Bethea. I don't dislike Antoine Bethea as a person. I think he's, I actually think he's like, that like old old dad in the hood. I, I like that. Uh, anyways, next guy up, captain, special teams captain, Michael Thomas, 29 years old, five foot 11, 195 pounds, set to be a free agent. And here's another guy I was wrong with. I thought Michael Thomas sucked. I just didn't. I was like, I don't, Michael Thomas, I don't have anything really good to say about him. I guess he's good on special teams, and I appreciate that. But as far as playing defense, I was not high on him at all going into 2019. And you know what? He only played 20% of the defensive snaps, but he was pretty de- – he, he did what he was asked, and he did a do- good job of it. I mean, we might not win the Tampa game if it isn't for him. Um, you know, he had ended up with 40 tackles, three tackles for a loss, three passes defended. Obviously, he, he came in as that third safety role, um, you know, playing in the box, sometimes deep when you'd have – you know, if you had him and Bethea deep and, and Peppers playing in the box. Obviously, the, the a good special teamer. Guys legit legitimately do look up to him. Um, he's part of the NFL PA. Uh, it's crazy because he's, you know, he's only going to be 30 this year. And, like he's looked up as a leader. I mean, Tay Davis, who was a guy I got to talk to in the past, he spoke really highly of Michael Thomas. Uh, so if they can bring him back on on a similar deal, the, you know, $2 million or whatnot to bring him on to play special teams. I mean, a guy like Joe judge who values special teams. I, I see that as being a deal that could be made and I don't see him going out and getting like a big contract either. So. Bobby, I'm right there with you. Uh, Michael Thomas is going to be one of those guys that I'll always remember that he was a giant because of the way that he's played the game. He plays the game at a a very old school fashion, in my opinion. Hardworking, gritty. He makes the play no one else is asked to make, whether that's on special teams or on defense. And I've talked about tackling before on this podcast, Bobby. Michael Thomas is the best form tackler on this football team right now uses his shoulder, he wraps up, he hits low, he understands leverage, he understands that the lower man wins. And obviously this probably goes back to his his his, his ultra, no, I, don't know, I keep on saying the word ultra, his ultra, days ultra, on special ultra. teams, <laughs> his days on special teams and his role is such a, his role on special teams that he's had basically his entire career. Great form tackler, best form tackler on the team and I kind of will always have a bias towards uh, Michael Thomas simply because he knows how to tackle. I don't care if he's a bad football player, good football player. If you know how to tackle, you have my heart. Is he the Giants version of Matthew Slater? Ooh. Ooh. I kind of want to say yes. He was a Pro Bowl special teamer last year, which pisses me off because I'm going to the Super Pro Bowl this year, and I have no Giants there to go and root for. It's pretty aggravating, honestly. 
you have no giants that you're able to interview from the back seat of your car. Exactly. Well, Tay Davis didn't make the Pro Bowl. He was just there. But he was I think he was there with with like Tay da- or with, with Michael Thomas, <laughs> a matter of fact. Um, so I just have no one there to go and root for. How did you find Tay Davis? I don't know if you've ever shared that story before. Like, how did you just run into Tay Davis and then and wind up interviewing him? Well, we interviewed and we kind of kept in contact. And, you know, you know, the regular like, hey, man, hope all is well. Uh, he put it, he threw up on his Instagram story. He's in Orlando. And I was like, hey, are you going to the Pro Bowl? He said, yeah. I was like, dang. And I was like, I'm heading there in 30 minutes. You want to meet up and do an interview? We met up, did an interview. <laughs> it kind of sucked because it was 50 degree rain. We did it in the back of this little tiny smart car, but we got it done. Um, he's a very quiet guy but it, it happened I, it actually really bothered me um because zach was in over in the middle east at the time for like duty so we you know we were doing the mm-hmm. show satellite from there and that's you know simple man radio for people who don't know i usually do a different show national show and so i i you know we're we, we spoke through twitter dms at the time because he didn't couldn't use his phone I was like just did an interview in the back of the car with tay davis i'm like this is like pretty cool it's our first in-person interview and he said something like, did you kiss, did you make out or something? I got really mad at Zach. I was like, that's not funny, dude. Like, I'm pretty ha- pumped about this and you're making jokes. So I don't know why I just shared that, but it did trigger me. Zach, you are raining on my parade. You're a terrible friend. I hate you. <laughs> I wonder if I can find the DMs. It's probably so long ago. Anyways. Th- that, any- that honestly is the worst, though. That honestly is the worst. Like, you're really excited for a moment. You do this You do this to me all the time. Whether I'm excited for you, for something good that you did, or I'm excited for myself, like I am all... I, I'm excited for myself all the time because I'm such a great person, and then you just crap on my parade, and I really don't appreciate it. You do that all the time. I don't know. That's my personality. That's so it. now the shoe's on the other foot. Yeah, shoe's yeah. on the other foot. But that, see, it's so rare for me that it actually bothers me that I can remember it when it was a year ago. That was a pretty random memory. I'm going to find it. <laughs> Why don't you introduce Julian Love for us while I find this? I'm going all the way through our DMs. All right, Julian Love. After being considered one of the biggest steals of the draft, uh, Love doesn't see the field until uh, the month of December, and it's because of an injury, go figure, to uh, Jabril Peppers. And the fact that Love was not inserted into the lineup once Grant Haley was pulled, it initially concerned me. It concerned me a lot. Is this guy really not ready? Uh, He certainly did not look good over the summer when I watched him in training camp. In fact, DeAndre Baker looked much better than he ever did. And of course, Love was thrown between um, slot cornerback and safety over the summer, uh, which is tough for any player to do, let alone a a rookie adjusting to the pro level. When he got his shot, he didn't miss. Uh, Julian Love, that is. He came in. He made impact plays. And more importantly, I feel, Bobby, he didn't allow plays where you said that big play was a result of Julian of a Julian Love mistake. Um, what's interesting about Julian Love and his transition to free safety is the fact that during his college career, Bobby, he only lined up as a free safety like 47 times, and that's throughout his entire Notre Dame career. Uh, so I thought that was an interesting, <laughs> interesting tidbit. Um, Sorry. Yeah, that's that's kind of like what I have. Uh, Good. What do you, what do you got? What do you have? So I'm I'm paying attention to everything you're saying, but I'm going through the, the Zach DMs, and I got okay. February nineteenth, two thousand nineteen. Zach PD is dead. If you don't oh, know, the bird. Yeah, PD was the Superman radio bird. He only lived like a few months. I don't know why it makes you laugh. You're laughing at the fact that your pet bird died. Wow, <laughs> what a what a bad guy move. When I bought that bird, I honestly fantasized about the day he died because of Dumb and Dumber. Where I could be like, Petey's dead. 
Where's the... Oh, this is the Dumb and Dumber oh, drop. Oh, that pisses me off. That pisses me right off. <laughs> it does piss me off that you that you laugh over the... the, the I, I actually did have a day where I mourned for that bird. <laughs> oh, I, I was, was in solidarity I was looking up all the hashtags for Petey, and there was stuff in like 2012 that like had nothing to do with it. And it's like, man, people... Petey really did have an impact on people. <laughs> I'll have to share. You want to talk about Julian Love? Yes, I'll share. Or you I'll, want to just? I'm, uh, I'm going to tweet the video out tomorrow of, of the four PD. Anyways, yeah, Julian Love, like you said, <laughs> it was frustrating to not see him play quicker, especially with like the struggles Antoine Bethea we had. And I thought he was going to start at nickel from the from the get go, Justin. You know, we like the, that was the first position we saw him was in Jets preseason at nickel, and we didn't. And it's like, and it was like in training camps, like, oh, is he playing corner? Is he playing safety? And I was just like, pick a position for this guy and let him learn it. And I don't know if that had any role of him taking so long to play. And ironically, the first game where he starts getting real reps is when Jabril Peppers gets hurt. So then it's like, okay, well, now that you're ready to play, you better be ready, ready to play because you're going to start the last five games of the year. And in six games, he had 35 tackles, 28 solo, five tackles for a loss, an interception, a forced fumble, and a QB hit. At a 16-game pace, that's 93 tackles. 13 tackles for a loss, which if he kept up that pace, that was unreal. Like I didn't expect him to have that kind of impact up towards the box because he was taking Jabril Pepper's role as playing towards the uh, line of scrimmage. You know, three fumbles, you know, three QB hits. Like, those are really good numbers. Um, now, I expect him to play free safety going forward uh, with Jabril Peppers. Um, may, I don't, maybe even move him back to nickel. I don't know. But I, I would expect – the Giants to get a corner or a safety, whether it's in free agency or the draft, and I think like that will determine where Julian Love plays. But for me, I, I see him playing a safety, and he was fun to watch. He played fast and aggressive, and I said it when he came out. I was like, there's probably going to be a game where we're pissed off at Julian Love because he's making mistakes. Well, while he wasn't perfect, he didn't have that moment, Justin, like you said. Yeah, uh, the the thing that confuses not confuses me because we're not we're not behind the scenes we're not in the locker room we're not on the practice field so we can't see these things happening julian love out of notre dame he was a he was a cornerback he was drafted to be a slot corner he was drafted to come in here and compete with grant haley who grant haley was not is not the same level of talent that julian love is grant haley was an undrafted guy at a penn state who surprisingly had somewhat good production, and then this year we found out that he was absolutely terrible in coverage and he had no ball skills, but he was great in the run game, which if that counts for anything. But Julian Love was drafted to be a slot corner, so I'm not necessarily ready to give up on Julian Love. This is, I think, one of the biggest, biggest questions. This is such an underrated storyline heading into this Giants offseason. Where, where, does, where does this coaching staff see Julian Love? Do they see him at free safety? Do they see him, do the, do they see him at slot corner? Because I'll be honest, Bobby, I think slot cornerback is if I had to rank my priorities for this offseason for to get on the, in terms of needs for this football team, slot cornerback is third. Maybe left tackle, um, interior linebacker, and I'm putting slot cornerback right there because how many times have we been beat by Grant Haley? Corey Ballantyne, especially towards the second half of this, not not even the second half of the season, you would put teams would put their best wide receivers purposely in the slot because they knew that Grant Haley had no ball skills. They knew that Corey Ballantyne was just not ready. Is Corey Ballantyne even a slot cornerback? Who even knows? So it was kind of <laughs> it was kind of frustrating to see or to not see Julian Love at slot corner. 
He was bad during the summer. He was bad during training camp. He was bad during the preseason at slot cornerback. He didn't really look comfortable at safety, but obviously as time went on and as we saw the final stretch of the 2019 season, Julian Love was pretty comfortable with free safety, but that needs to be a huge, huge question mark and a huge process to answer this question. Where is Julian Love going to be in 2020? Because that's going to dictate what they're going to do this offseason. Yeah. And I, I, I really do see it being at safety. And you know what? He can be one of those corners to safety transitions that ends up being a really good safety, like Malcolm Jenkins, like Ann Charles Roll. I mean, there's a, there's a good handful of guys who have done it and been great safety. So hopefully Julian Love is in that. I get he's not like a big-bodied guy. But, I mean, look at our other safeties. Uh, Julian Brio, they're all five foot eleven. Literally all of them are 5'11", as well as Julian Love. So I'm excited about Julian Love. Um, I will say I did find – now, I guess we can close the episode out. I found the DM. I said, did an interview with Tay Davis in his car. And Zach said, did you get the second base? And I didn't respond for two hours. I was, Ooh, I was you, just, you just don't know how to answer questions like that. I also was like, in, like coming home from a Super Bowl or the Pro Bowl in 50-degree rain, completely soaked. Like it was pretty miserable at the time. Um so I, that also could have bothered me as well. And 50 degrees uh, with you Florida people is like, you know, 30 degrees for us uh, Northeasterners. So, you know, that must have been a really tough day for you. It was the rain that was the worst thing. So make sure to t- tweet at me to, uh, when you're listening to this. Say, hey, release the PD video and I'll release the PD Hashtag video. release the PD video. Hashtag for PD. You have to do hashtag for PD. Anyways, that's the show. Justin, you got any final thoughts before we hit the road? Be well, everyone. Uh, Thanks for listening. We have 121 ratings on the Apple Podcast app right now, and this is our 121st episode. So let's do this thing. I want all of our listeners to coordinate when they're going to leave ratings, and we're going to go up one rating every single time we release an episode. How about 20 ratings per episode? How about that? We have the downloads that do that for a good while. That would be much, uh, much preferred, to be honest, than my plan. I like that plan. Right now, we're in fourth place. We're in fourth place out of all the Giants podcasts. And I want us to be at least like within 50 of first place. And we're like 30 away from third place. So help us. We don't want to be like the Flint City Tropics. We want to we don't want to be in fourth place. We want to we want to be in first and we want to go to the NBA from the NBA. That's a show. We appreciate you guys. We'll see you on Friday. I don't know. I'm sure the Giants will sign some coaches before then. And screw you, Coach Roach, for letting us down. Until then, let's go Big Blue.